Reverend A.J. Holloway. Would you give him a big hand? Can we lift up our hands right now, just all across this room? We're not in the Old Testament anymore. You know that. In the Old Testament, they would lay a sacrifice on an altar. And the Bible said that the smell would rise to heaven and God would love it. And he would come down to that place where sacrifice was. We're not doing that anymore. There's no more lambs being slain. You're the sacrifice, Paul said. We offer this body a living sacrifice. The Bible also tells us to offer up the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of your lips. It is not the will of God for his bride to be quiet. And so I want you to offer up a sacrifice of praise. I want you to lift up worship. Tell him how worthy he is. Tell him how great he is. Why don't you just brag on him? We brag on everybody else. Let's brag on him. God, you've provided for me. You listened to my prayer. Even if you didn't answer it, you still heard it. Father, you are my savior. If you never did anything else for me, you died for me. Nobody's done that before. God, you died for me while I was yet a sinner. So I'm going to worship you. I'm going to brag on you. And I believe that when you offer up the sacrifice of praise from the fruit of your lips, God smells it from the church and he comes into the room. What we came here to do today was to have a move of God. The closer we get into the end times, the less impressed I am with things and the more hungry I am for God things. I really, really, really just want a move of God. And I was asking God recently, I said, God, I just, I feel frustrated often. I really do. And I'm just going to, your pastor has got up here and he's bared his soul and I want to bear mine. I want to just be honest with you. I've been very frustrated. And I was praying to God about it. And I said, God, why do I just feel frustrated all the time? And he said, because I've called you to preach from your soul. And when you preach from your soul and nobody receives it, and nobody worships me because I put it there. It's frustrating. It's very frustrating to bring to a group of people something that changed me. And people look at you and say, oh, that's cute. I'm, gonna, I'm looking for another sermon. Oh, can you just tell me something I've never heard before? I'm not here to do that. I'm not, I'm not a preacher. I'm a minister. I want to bear my soul with you. And please don't let me leave here frustrated today. Because I feel something heavy on my soul. And I'm going to bear my soul with you today. God has placed this on me. And I have been ministering it every chance I get. And I want to take you to Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. If it's heavy in here, it's okay. It's supposed to be. I'm not going to apologize. Because heavy in the Bible is the word glory. The word glory means a heaviness. Often it's translated as burden. And we don't like burdens. We really don't. God does though. And he says, look, I'm not going to deliver you from a burden, but here's what I want to tell you. Mine's light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You're going to have one, but it's not going to be like the burden you feel out there. 
And so if it's heavy in here, if it's feeling a little serious, it's supposed to. The glory of God is just hovering in this room. And I feel like it's just, we want to have a downpour on every soul today. I love you, Pastor Neelan. I love you very much. I don't have enough words to articulate how much I do. And so I feel like those three will be adequate. I love you. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. That word Lord there often in the Bible is translated from the word Yahweh, but it's not right here. That word Lord literally means king. And the reason why is because King Uzziah was a good man. Of all the kings Israel had, Uzziah was one of the good ones. 27 years, he brought religious freedom into Israel again. And if you know much about the kings of Israel, they didn't do this. But King Uzziah did. And in this passage, King Uzziah is dead. And you can imagine Isaiah is lamenting. What are we going to do now? We don't have a righteous king. We don't have a godly leader. What's going to happen to Israel? Are we going to fall back into the spiritual dark ages? And this is the revelation that Isaiah has when King Uzziah dies. I saw the king. He was sitting on a throne. He was high. He was lifted up. The train of his robe was filling the temple. Above that throne stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. You must understand that the majority of the resources given to the angelic was used for worship. And if I were given six wings as an American, I'd use all six to fly faster. But they didn't. They said, I'm going to cover my face with humility. I'm going to cover my feet because they're too filthy to be here. And the other two, I'm going to stay in his presence with. Of all six wings, they used them to worship their God. And one cried to another. And here's some good speech for the church. They didn't say it to God. They said it to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory is everywhere. The earth is filled with his glory. And when they cried this to one another, when they testified to one another of how great their God was, the posts of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke. The glory they were preaching about fell. And so a man, a mere human, a mortal standing in this celestial atmosphere, looking at the angelic worshiping God, this is what he says. Woe is me. Oh my God, I have not done any of this. Woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. I haven't looked at anybody on the earth and cried unto them what he's crying to them. I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king. I was worried about Uzziah dying and what's going to happen to Israel. And I realized there's one sitting on a throne. Who cares who the president is? Then one of the seraphim flew to me. He attracted the supernatural with this prayer. An angelic being looked at the worship of a mere mortal and said, Oh, that feels heavenly. Let's go and see it. And that seraphim that was worshiping the king of kings flies to a human. Having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. We get none of these experiences, though, without the first three words out of the mouth of a mere mortal. Woe is me. I believe... 
And I will prophesy, not over this church, but over the church globally. I feel a strong prophecy for the church. There will be a revival for the true worshipers. And the true worshipers are getting ready to arise. But out of the mouth of the true worshipers, the first three words going to come out of their mouth is, I'm not worthy. Woe is me. And I believe a revelation is going to descend in this room today. I believe that there will be true worshipers that arise and you're going to join the true church of the end times. And so if that's what you want, if that's the person you want to be, not just a Christian, not just some person who attends church, fills out the card, puts the money in the offering basket, none of that. You want to be a true, true worshiper. That's what you want today. I want you to lift up your hands. I believe that glory is going to fall here today. I feel a witness in my spirit that he don't want me to leave here frustrated, that he's going to reveal to himself today where the true worshipers are. So right now, before we go into the word, would you brag on him? Would you join with a heavenly host? Would you lift up your voice? I believe when you do, the pillars will shake. I believe this building can be shaken. I believe that all of De Quincey and the surrounding areas can be shaken by the voice of a bride that cries unto her groom. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come here today and we want nothing else but you. I want nothing else, God. I don't want a hand clap for me. I don't want anybody coming to me today and saying it was a good message. I want people to look at you and say, God was good to us today. Help me, God, to hide behind your glory. Help me today to be a minister and not a preacher. In your name, I'll give you the glory. Any that comes to me, God, I'm afraid of it. I'll return it to you. I want no glory, God, because it will hinder me from getting you. So I honor you. I praise you. I adore you. In the name of Jesus, you may be seated in this somber atmosphere. Our world is filled with so many things in creation that puts upon us feelings of awe, and yet equally they can provoke in us feelings of terror. I was on our honeymoon when my wife and I first got married 11 years ago, and it was in the month of July, we wanted to go to Alaska to escape the southern heat, and while we were in Alaska, we decided to rent a helicopter, and this pilot flew us to one of the glaciers in Alaska, and it was stunning. It was breathtaking. I was filled with awe because we were at the thinnest portion of this glacier and it was 700 feet thick and I looked at this thing in just absolute wonder we landed on it like it was an actual island but it was just pure frozen tundra it was just ice and I looked over and there was these deep crevices that were carved out within this created thing this just this thing within creation and even though I was filled with wonder awe and beauty there was also a terror that came over me as I looked over and I couldn't even see the bottom of that crevice it was going down over 700 feet and the tour guide grabbed a huge rock and he said let's throw it in and we'll count and see how long it takes to hit the bottom and it would seem like an infinite amount of seconds that transpired before that rock hit the bottom and I realized there's no guardrails here there's nothing protecting me from falling to my doom how can I be filled with awe and terror we do this when we go to the zoo 
We go to the zoo and we look through a galvanized fence and we look at the sheer power and beauty and yet majesty and kingly nature of a lion and we sit and watch it as it lays lazily upon its pseudo pride rock. And if you go to the zoo and it's a particularly good day, you'll get there and the lion will be moving around and the lion may roar for you. And if you've ever been to the zoo and heard the lion roar and people around you, you will quickly realize that people are fascinated by nature. And when the lion roars, everybody claps their hand because they know we've had a unique day at the zoo. But remove the galvanized fence. Experience the behemoth in its territory. Experience the lion outside of the pseudo. The false kingdom. Experience the lion in his kingdom. Hear him roar and you will not hear cheers. You will hear cries. How can something be so majestic and so terrifying? The sun. People go in the summer looking for its heat. They lay on the beach to improve their tan. They're telling us now that if you go and spend time in the sun, it'll create in your body vitamin D, and that is, that's going to help you even within our post-pandemic climate that vitamin D is good for you. In Alaska, they had massive sales on tanning beds because there was no sun during certain times of the month, and they needed vitamin D because vitamin D is the feel-good vitamin. But get a little close to the sun. No one's landed on it because no one can survive there. We love it. It brings life to the planet. Our, our plants grow. The vitamins in our body need it. We need the sun. We are, there's an increase of depression where there's lack of sunlight they have studied. We need the sun, but if we draw too close, it will destroy us. I was reading a story in National Geographic of a Marine who was going on his daily swim in the bays of California and while he was swimming he's done this many times in the past but this particular day was a unique day he had been on his multi-mile swim and this day he happened into the territory of a bull shark and the bull shark saw him in his his skin suit and thought he was a seal and clamped down losing his arm his right leg and part of his rib and you know we all asked the question are you going to spend the rest of your life hunting down this bull shark and he said something that the church should be saying. He said, no, he's a shark. I ended up in his territory and he does what sharks do. You see, we are comfortable with something being both good and dangerous so long as it's within the scope of creation. We are okay with these things being different than us. Well, it's a lion. That's what lions do. Well, that's the sun. That's what the sun does. It's a bull shark. That's what bull sharks do. But we do not, and we do it hypocritically, we do not apply the same logic to the creator of those things. And so I'm afraid that the modern church has somehow put God into human categories and thus has reduced the severity and sheer otherness that is God. We have made him the good old boy. We placed him as our next door neighbor mowing his yard in his Nike polo, and when we drive into the neighborhood, he says, howdy, neighbor. He waves at us as we drive on by on Sunday, and we say, well, he's such a good, good father. He works as a teacher as his part-time, and he brings the neighbor's cookies. He's vanilla. He's ordinary. He's good. 
That's very true. It's biblical. He's father. That's very biblical. He is a teacher. He's a million other adjectives. But you hear me closely today. He is not us. The Bible says he is not a man that he can lie. And what he did when he put on humanity, Emmanuel, God with us, is he was playing as an actor trying to show us what humans were supposed to look like. But just because he came as a human, it never removed from him his deity. He was still God. And God manifest in the flesh came down amongst us and he said to us, guys, you don't know how to be humans anymore. And nobody's been showing you true humanity. So I'm coming down here to show you what a human should look like. But I am still Emmanuel. Job says this of him in Job 23, 15. Therefore, I am terrified at his presence. When I consider this, I am afraid of him. For God made my heart weak and the Almighty terrifies me. You see, we we don't have this anymore in our American churches. We have it in our communistic countries where we have underground churches. There is a fear because they respect authorities. We don't respect authority anymore. And as the gradual degradation of a society ensues, it begins to trickle into the church and we view God as the police. Well, the police are corrupt, so is God. And we've reduced what God really is and we put him into a category. He's a good, good father. He's a Nike polo wearing, croc wearing, waving at the neighbors. God, he is not us. Daniel describes him as having hair like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. And when he speaks, the Bible said a fiery stream issued forth from his mouth. And when Daniel saw this, the Bible said he fell down as though dead for fear of him. Ezekiel, when he was standing on the gulf of an irrigation pond, wondering, am I ever going to see the Holy of Holies? Surely not. I'm an exile in Babylon. God leaves the temple and comes and meets Ezekiel in the middle of Babylon. And Ezekiel's looking at him and saying, what are you doing here? You've left the temple. This, you're not supposed to be here in this, this earthly, worldly place. And when God entered into Ezekiel's atmosphere, the Bible said he came as a whirlwind of fire. And Ezekiel fell down on his face as though dead for fear. Well, Brother Holloway, that is... Old Testament, God's nicer. He's he's always nice, but he's God. That's Old Testament. That's not, we don't have that kind of God anymore. God does not change. Show it to me in the New Testament. Well, the John, the, the disciple, the prophet of God describes God like this. He said, he has, I saw him. I agree with Daniel. He has hair like wool. He has eyes like fire. His feet are like burnished bronze. And when he opened his mouth from the throne, out of his mouth came a sword and I fell as though I was dead for fear. That's the last book in the Bible. Well, show it to me in the epistles. John has a brother named Paul. And his brethren, Paul, says this in Romans 11, therefore consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fail severity, but towards you, towards his bride, we get goodness. But finish the scripture. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. This is still what the word of God says. We can get so removed from the fact that he is God that we will think, God, you deserve me. I've been, I've been asking people a lot of questions. I had, a, I had an individual recently, 
He told me he's, he's been really seeking a life of consecration. He's been letting things go. He's been casting aside some weights and sins that does so easily beset him. And his life has not gotten better in certain regards. And he's had a confusion come over him. He said, I really thought that God would, would favor me because look at all I've done. And I had to, I said, brother, I said, do you know that I love you? He says, of course I know that, that you love me. I said, then I'm going to tell you a truth that you're not going to like because I cannot lie to you. I love you enough to tell you the truth because I know it's going to offend you, but here it comes. God doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe you anything. I said, I was on a three-day fast the day my son passed away. God owes me nothing. He already gave me what I didn't deserve. What else do I want from him besides dying for me? When I desire from him something beyond dying for me, I'm not a bride anymore. I'm a gold digger. I, I'm only in this for you because of your blessings. And so my worship is contingent upon being blessed. I was telling the prayer warriors and pastor in the office, they said, what have you been feeling lately? And I said, God has been leaning me into the direction of the difference between psalms and songs. Because the Bible uses two words. A psalm is a praise unto God when nothing has gone right. Go read Psalm 88. It's about a leper who never gets to go into the Holy of Holies. He never gets to be married. He never has community within a culture that longs for community. And he is sitting there and he says, you know what I'm going to do? I don't get to go into the Holy of Holies. I don't get to worship. I don't get to be married. I don't get community. I'm going to write a psalm and praise God. I'm going to have to look at him someday on the rapture and say, life was so hard. And he's going to look at me and say, I know. It rains on the just and the unjust. Did you sing? And a song is what you sing when everything's going right. You see, the posture of a human is worship no matter what. I think Isaiah's experience gets to the heart of God the quickest, though. I've told you about Daniel. I've told you about Ezekiel. I've told you about John. I've told you about Paul. But I think Isaiah really hits to the heart of this whole thing that I'm feeling in my soul. Isaiah's experience shows us the cry of three seraphim who are declaring that God is holy, holy, holy. You see, this was a common way that Jewish authors would write. When they wanted to stress something, they would repeat it. In Hebrew, there's only around 50,000 words in the ancient Hebrew. So when they wanted to tell you how extravagant something was, they would repeat the noun multiple times. For example, your Bible may say in English that there was a very deep pit in the book of Exodus. But in the original Hebrew, it doesn't say very or deep. Those adjectives aren't in the Hebrew. So what it says was, it is a pit pit. They repeat the noun twice. And in this situation, the seraphim says, there's not enough adjectives to describe him. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to repeat what he is multiple times. He is holy. And that's, I can't just call him holy because he gave that name to a day. He's beyond Sabbath. I'm going to call him holy, holy. But I can't stop there because that was also put upon a man. He's not a man. So he is holy, holy, holy holy. In Hebrew, when you repeat something three times, he is not just that. He is now the standard of that. 
Do you understand that we are going to approach the throne someday and standing before us is the standard of what is holy. That's why when he opens his mouth, a fiery stream will come forth. And Paul said that if you built that house on clay or stubble or hay or stubble or wood, that fire coming out is going to consume your works. But if you built your house upon what does not decay, silver and gold, when that fire issues forth, you will stand. We will look at the standard of holy. So what is holy? There's a lot of debates within the Christian world right now on what holy is. I want to simplify the word holy for you today because the word holy just means other. He is different. And those angels looked at him and said, I've traveled all through the globe. I have flown from the east to the west, the north and the south, as he has stationed us on the four corners. And we ride the four winds, as Ezekiel said. And we've looked throughout all of the world. We've seen it all. We've seen the beauty and wonders. We've seen Mount Lebanon. We have seen the towers of the ziggurats. We have seen what Babylon could build. And we're looking into the future through the prophetic vision of God. And we're seeing the towers and we're seeing the, the electronic cars and the iPhones and none of it compares he is other than that he is not just other than that he is other other he is other 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 he is the standard of different nothing is like him you must understand that it does not say of him that he is good 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 or mercy 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 or father 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 all of those things are attributes of what he is so when he is father it comes from his nature which is other he is not your father like your earthly father for your earthly father can be corrupt your earthly father could live vicariously through you but God is a different type of father he is perfect he is different his love is not like your love that can oftentimes be distorted and you think it's love, but it's actually manipulation to get from the person what you want. But what he does, he says, no, my love is different than your love. My love is pure. My love is willing to die. And my love is also willing to tell you what you don't want to hear. My love will stand in front of a stone, but my love will also tell the woman caught not to sin again. My love is different than yours. My mercy is different than yours. I am not you. I am God. And I want them to worship me in spirit and in truth. These seraphim cry the thrice holy words and the inanimate is moved as the doorposts begin to shake. And as the house was filled with smoke, a mere mortal is sitting there in awe and wonder. And he sees all of this playing out in front of his physical eyes. And there's only one appropriate response when you're standing in the presence of the one who is different different, different. He falls down and he says, I am not worthy to be standing here. I don't even know how I happened into this room right now. All I know is maybe the presence and the mercy of God brought me here. But as I look upon him, I am terrified because I am not good. And so he says, woe is me, for I am undone. The word undone in Hebrew means I'm coming unraveled at the seams. Go ahead and sit in a church service where God is being moved and he's moving in the room and sit there and just say, well, I'm not emotional. He came unglued. The Hebrew word looks at it and says, I was coming apart at the seams when God entered into my realm. And when he came into the room, I couldn't contain my, myself. I fell apart. 
And I ask myself often when God moves, did I stay put together? If I did, did I really recognize that I was in the room with God Almighty? He says these words, I am a man of unclean lips. The word lips there in the Hebrew means language. That's the same word that was used when God came down and confounded their language at the Tower of Babel. Same word there for lips. He says, I am a man of unclean language. I dwell in the midst of people of unclean language. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And when I've seen him, I get a revelation of me. When I look at his otherness, his goodness, his perfection, I realize what is man. That there are even my love in him. For the first time in Isaiah's life, he had seen who God was by getting a glimpse of his divine holiness. And for the first time in Isaiah's life, he got a glimpse of his divine calamity. He cries out the words, woe is me. You must understand, this is not just empty words from a prophet. Woe is me is a phrase that is lost on us. Bible scholars understand that this word woe is used many times in the Bible. For when an oracle was giving a prophetic word, and I need, you to, I need you to understand what a prophecy is because we've gotten so far removed from prophets. Prophets is one of my most passionate studies. And prophets are misunderstood nowadays. We think prophets are supposed to, you know, take up offerings. I don't know where that came from. Prophets are supposed to tell us the future. And we hear the word oracle and we think of future telling. 87% of the time you read about a prophet in your Bible, they're not doing that. 87% of the time a prophet is speaking, he is trying to call the church back to something that they got away from. They're covenant watchdogs. And Isaiah says the words that all prophets say, woe. When the church or the people got away from God, they would say, woe unto you. You keep going in this direction. It's not going to end well. And when they corrected, they would preface it with, blessed are you. Jesus did this when he says, blessed are those who are reviled for my namesake. Blessed are those who are hated. He says all these blessings because he's giving the oracle. But he also says the woe oracle when he says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, for you travel the world to make a disciple and you turn them twice into the child of hell that you are. It's the positive through the blessing and the negative oracles through the woe. And Isaiah gives himself the negative prophecy. Do you know what he's doing? I don't need a prophet to come and tell me that I'm going the wrong direction. I can look at his goodness and see it for myself that I'm not him. He's not me. And I don't need a prophet to come and coach me into doing it right. I, my eyes have seen the king. I was in his presence. And I don't need a preacher to come and tell me this stuff. I don't need anybody to come and line me up. I can look at his goodness all by myself and realize I'm not worthy of that. And nobody has to coach me to say these next words. Woe is me. Me, for I am a sinner. And when you get to that point to where you come into the house of God and you don't need music, you don't need singers, you don't need a preacher to provoke you, you just come in and say, God, you are so good to me. I'm not worthy of it. I believe prophetically we'll have a revival that'll sweep the nation because you won't just do it here. You'll do it in your car when the glory of God falls. You'll do it in the grocery store when the glory of God falls. You'll feel a witness in the spirit as you're walking through a Starbucks and you'll lift up your hands and you won't care if anybody's looking at you even in public woe is me however when the negative oracle was given it was a wrong direction and he says I'm going in the wrong direction you see we have suppressed 
the unholy that's within us with positive thinking. Oh, I'm not that bad. <laughs> you know, again, I'm going to go back to Jesus playing the role of a human because he did that for our benefit. Why would God become a human? For our benefit to show us what humans look like, what we're supposed to be. This is why he heals blinded eyes, deaf ears, lame tongues. This is why he's doing all that. He's turning us back into humans so we can hear and see and talk. That's what humanity was supposed to be. He's repairing the human image, which was his. And for our benefit, he says this. The Pharisee says, we know that you're a good man. He says, there's no one good. Why do you call me good? There's only one good. We know Jesus was good because he was without sin. Why did he say that statement? For our benefit. So he says, guys, when you're restored into your humanity, a true human will know he's not good. Who is good? There's none good but the Father. That's the only one that is good. I am the Father, but I'm saying this for your benefit so that when you get restored to your humanity by the infilling of my spirit, you'll get a revelation that you are no good. We suppress this, though, with positive thinking. I'm not that bad. My Enneagram type is really a blessing to the kingdom. I'm, I'm really, I have a good personality. Nothing about us is good but the dead parts. God is good. And his goodness makes me better. If somebody brags on you, you look at them and say, thank you for bragging on the Holy Ghost because I know me. And I can't help but notice that God never comes to Isaiah and says, oh, Isaiah, don't be so melodramatic. Get off the floor, son. You're going to scare people away. That's, that's embarrassing. Come on, get up. People are staring, Isaiah. God doesn't even speak to Isaiah. He sends an angel. And an angel says, this is all true, Isaiah. You're getting a revelation of it. In light of him, it's the best thing that can ever happen for you, that you get a revelation of you in his presence. But here's what we'll do with that humble revelation that you just pronounced over yourself. I've got some fire. And it's interesting the word seraphim means fiery one. How could the fiery one not touch the fire that was at the altar? They had to take tongs because there was something so holy about God's altar that even a fiery one couldn't even touch it. And the fiery one comes down and says, I've got something for your repentance. I've got something for your proclamation over yourself. Your language is unclean, but I'm going to touch your language. And the moment his language was changed, you argue with me about tongues all you want to. This is the reason I went to school to learn Hebrew was to prove some doctrines of the Bible. And when he touched his mouth, there was something that changed in his language that said this, I am now clean. My sins have been purged. My iniquities have been removed. The word iniquity means distorted. I'm no longer distorted. I am now being recreated and transformed into the image of the one who I'm facing right now. I'm turning into a human for the first time in my life. And it all came from the woe is me. This is why the Bible tells us that all of heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents. And this is why Paul said that godly grief leads us to repentance. And the result, therefore, is salvation. 
There is something about the church, the real church, that falls down in the presence of God and they just say, we're not worthy, God. Our programs that we put together was given to us by your divine wisdom. Our talents and abilities to sing, it was given to us by you. God, these are not my gifts. These are your gifts put upon me. God, this is not my ministry. This is your ministry that you're letting me walk in. God, I didn't come in here by my own volition, but I walked in here because your spirit was drawing me. Not a single soul in this room today came here because you wanted to be here. God was drawing you and you responded to the voice of God saying, come into my house. And you came here not by accident. You came here by divine call of God. You've already responded thus far by being here at his bid and call. We may as well say, God, you're the one who is worthy. And when we humble ourselves, the water of the spirit pulls up on the lowly and there becomes a downpour upon the humble and the humble receive a different language and a transformation and their iniquities and their sins are removed and it all happens from a woe is me revival woe is me paul or luke tells us behold i send the promise of my father upon you go tarry in the city of jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high and he led them out as far as bethany and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them He said, guys, I'm about to put upon you the positive oracle. Something's going to change in you, but go tarry ye. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Jesus sent them to Jerusalem. If the upper room experience were not needed, then why did Jesus tell them to go? Because without the upper room and what was coming, there is no blessing upon woe is me people. And a bunch of woe is me people are up in that upper room and they're praying and they're worshiping God. And all of the prophecies, Ezekiel's vision of a whirlwind of fire, Daniel's vision of God coming down, and Isaiah's vision of the fiery tongs, it all clashes into a Rembrandt, a painting of all these colors smashed into one canvas. And it's the upper room canvas and the Rembrandt is every prophetic vision. The whirlwind of fire fell upon each of them. The seraphim came down and touched their language and they got the glory of God as it descended upon on them and they began to speak with other tongues when there's a new tongue that comes upon the people people are transformed into the image of the one who they was in the presence of and something happens and they began to worship God they began to say we're not worthy that this spirit would come and descend upon us musicians get ready don't play yet but just come up here we'll see what God wants to do we may have music we may not people may worship but I want you to be ready either way so if you can just come up here I was driving a lawnmower I don't know, two months ago, Pastor. And while I was on the lawnmower, I was just on the back half. I was getting ready. I was about to be done. I had about an hour left of that nine-acre mow. And as I was mowing, I could feel something. I just I hadn't felt it like this before. I was just thinking about God. I turned off my podcast and everything. I was just, I was just thinking about God. And I was mowing that grass, just doing the mundane. And it felt like Moses, just in that mundane, average, everyday moment, something fell and I turned aside to see the great sight. And I'm not claiming to be Moses. That's not what I'm doing. I just knew that there was something out on that back half of that property. And as I began to mow, unprovoked tears started flowing down my cheeks. And I just said out loud, my voice being drowned out by the sound of a lawnmower. I said, God, is that you? I wasn't feeling this earlier, but I feel something. And I felt the weight of glory come down on me. And I couldn't help it. I stopped the lawnmower. 
I got off of that zero turn and I hit my knees and I fell to my face. And I never experienced the fear of God quite that way. I knew I was in the presence of someone, something that was not me. And I felt the goodness of God. But his goodness came in and the severity terrified me because I knew I'm not worthy to be here. I don't deserve this glory that's falling right now. And this isn't self-deprecation. This isn't false humility. I knew who descended on the back half of that property. And I realized, I said, God, this is not false religion. This is not a false humility. This is true. I really don't feel good enough to be near you. And I felt the hand of God touch me. And he said, tell my church I'm looking for the worshipers. He said, I'm commissioning you everywhere you go. You tell my church that I've been starving for her worship and ask her why she's been so silent. I said, God, I don't know. I've been silent. I've been silent. He said, not anymore. I'm changing you and I'm sending you to my bride. Tell them I long to hear their worship. Tell them that when they lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting, I will send ministering angels into the room. You let them know that I am attracted to their worship. I long for them, no matter what state they're in, to worship me. I long that even if things not going right, that they sing unto me. I long that they would worship me. And I said, God, what does it look like though when we don't and a memory hit my mind when I asked God that here's the memory that came to mind Pastor Neelan I remembered vividly when I asked God that question walking into a nursing home and looking at Dorothy Holloway my grandmother she sat there and I knew everything about Dorothy Holloway she was a pillar. I remember being six years old and I heard her testify on a Wednesday night. And I went up to her and I said, Mimi, I didn't know women could preach. And she looked at me and she said, I'm not a preacher, son. I was just telling how good my God is. I was moved by this woman of faith, this powerful woman of God. And I watched her as she sat there in a nursing home. And when I walked in, I said, hey, Mimi, how you doing today? She looked at me and she said, who are you? She was eating up with Alzheimer's. I knew all about her, but she didn't even know I was in the room. I believe that a spirit of dementia is hitting the church. God's moving in our midst and we just sit here. What is that? What is that I feel? He knows everything about us. And we sit unmoved by him. And he walks through the room. And something happened to me as a young man. I began to weep. And I said, I had to walk out of the room. I couldn't even stay in there. It broke me. It broke my heart so bad to know that this woman who I loved, revered, she would always make us biscuits when I go to her house. She was a woman of God. And I looked up to her. I'm in ministry today because of her and my, grand, my other grandparents on my mother's side. But I looked at her that day and she had no idea who I was. And that pain that I felt came into my mind. And I remembered it vividly. And God said, that's what it feels like when I move in a room and nobody recognizes recognizes me he said your emotions are made like mine you're made in my image I feel the same thing every day when I move amongst my people and they don't even respond to me he said tell my church I'm weeping for them 
that's not the end of the story. Let me tell you about Dorothy Holloway. I used to play drums in our church. My mom was singing. And I remember the nursing home said, hey, it would be good for Dorothy if she would attend church services. Let her, let her be in the midst of something that she remembers. She talks about church here and there. And we can see her memory sparking of things that she obviously loved. And so the people at the nursing home said, bring her to a church service and let's see what she does. And I'll never forget this day until the day that I die. My grandmother walked in the back and she had two nurses walking with her. They sat her down and I was on the platform getting ready to worship. And as the music started playing my mom that day particularly she started playing an old gospel hymn and I watched my grandmother who didn't know her own grandson she lifted up those hands no memories in her mind hands went straight towards heaven and word for word I watched her mouth she began to sing with my mom and I heard her across the room she said you're worthy of it all you are worthy of it all and that was the day I saw my grandmother's soul as her flesh was eaten up with Alzheimer's she no longer had any memories but the soul still remembered there was something inside of her that you couldn't take away from her her soul lifted up you can't teach that to anybody that is what's inside of a true church the real bride lifts up their hands and says no matter what happens in this body no matter if you take the memories away from me I hear you cannot take my soul out of my body and I watched the soul of an older woman lift up her hands as she began to sing unto God here here's the song I want you to learn I want you to sing it daily and I'm going to send you with this commission. When you leave this church today, you commit this to memory. You hear right now, Revelations 5. There is no choir rehearsal prior to Revelations 5. I've dug it up and I've looked, Pastor Nee, and I can't find it nowhere. No point in time in Revelation does it bring all the saints together and say, hey guys, we're going to sing a song in heaven. So let's gather them all around and let's teach them the words to the song. There's no choir rehearsal. For heaven and the church is raptured out of this earth and in revelation 5 they stand before god in revelations 5 12 this says this they said with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain and listen to where their worship unto him he is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings. Do you understand that that entire list is everything that your flesh wants? Everything that they worshiped unto God without being taught the song, they said that He was worthy to receive power. That's what all men want. Horsepower, wealth, honor, We want to rule. And they said, we're not worthy of it. These people had an Isaiah moment. They had a woe is me. And they realized, I'm not worthy to receive power. He is. Worthy is he to receive riches. That's what I wanted. But he's the one who's worthy of it. I wanted wisdom, but he's worthy of it. I wanted strength and honor, but he's the only one worthy. I wanted glory. I wanted blessings, but he's the one who's worthy to receive it all. There's no choir rehearsal teaching that. These people learned it on earth. To sing that heavenly song 
with no choir rehearsal. The angels didn't look at them and say, oh boy, you barely made it, didn't you? Come on, you made it by the skin of your teeth. Come here, we're going to teach you how to worship God today. No, these people, the real church, learned how to sing this prior to that moment. And they all, when they entered the presence of God, they said, we've been waiting for this. We've been singing this to the unseen God. And now we get to say it to him face to face. God, here, here's the life we lived on earth. Worthy are you to receive all glory and power and riches and wisdom and honor. I'm going to sing to you what I've been singing in my life. Somebody singing to God from your soul today. Someone lift up your hands like Dorothy Holloway. And you lift up your hands and you say, God, I recognize that you're here and I'm not worthy of you. I don't deserve you. But God, you are so good that you'd come down here amongst us. You would come into this room amongst failures. Those who have divorce. Those who have thought evil thoughts. Those that have looked at things that have made your stomach turn. And you still came in here. So here's what I'm going to do God I'm going to worship you and I'm going to sing the song before the rapture and I'm going to sing it from my soul somebody here today lift up the voice of your spirit right now and sing unto him tell him how good he is worship him let's just have a moment of corporate worship as the people of God practice the rapture moment would you grab hands with somebody and would you sing to one another worthy is the lamb worthy 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 is the lamb he's holy he's holy he's not us aren't you thankful he's not like us he's not like our presidents he's not like our leaders he's different than us and he's here Come on, I think the church just started joining with that right there. Every guest, it's for you as well. This isn't for the seasoned saints. This is for the person who is this the first time you've ever been in this room. If you're broken, if you're damaged, if you don't feel worthy, he's worthy. I don't feel good enough. That's the perfect place to be. It's, you're in the prime position. of you. Glory's falling. Worship Him. Not just here. Worship Him all day. Worship Him tomorrow. Worship Him on Tuesday. Worship Him.
and giving praise, giving thanks, and honor His wonderful name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So there's a number of things I want to say. First of all, to all of our guests, to all of you young people from court, thank you for being here. It's an honor to have you. 
Jay, Deidre, thank you for being here today. Now, I want you to listen to me. Wednesday night, okay, Wednesday night when I got up here, what did I say to this congregation? We have been coming. Hold on just a minute. Hold on. Listen, hold on. Listen to me right now. Everybody listen to me. Let there be order here. Listen to me. I told this church Wednesday night. I said, we have been coming based off of who we are. And I had an elder in this church say, Pastor, I don't understand. I've been paying tithes for 40 years. I've been coming to church for 40 years. I've been giving. I've been faithful. I've been doing everything I know to do to live a holy life. How come God hasn't healed me? And brothers and sisters, what we are doing is, is we mean well, but we are coming based off of what we've done. And I'm, I, I, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but when you come to God based off of you paid tithes and you've come to church and you've taught Sunday school, that's your righteousness. Because now what you're trying to do is you're trying to get God to respond to something you've done. And God sees that. I'm sorry, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but God sees that as filthy. Because God sees that He's the one who's done it all for you. He found you. He forgiven you. He forgave you of your sins. He placed his name upon you in baptism. He filled you with his spirit. And he absolutely wants you to be able to boast in nothing that you have done. So when you get to heaven and he looks at you and says, why should I let you in? Your response should be because of what you did for me at Calvary. That is the only reason why. I didn't talk to Brother AJ about what I've been preaching. The first time I've seen him in months is when he walked into my office at a quarter till. What are you saying? I'm saying that God is trying to get his people away from your own righteousness. And I am saved because of what I have done. God sees that as I mean, this is a strong word, but he sees that as filthy. It's not about what you have done. It's about what he did for you. I am so honored to have every one of you in here. But listen, you're going to be free to go. We're going to sing this song. And I've got prayer elders that are going to stand and they're going to turn around you got prayer elders in this house with a bottle of oil in their pocket right now in prayer cloths. And if you need something from God, I am pleading with you, forget about your neighbor. And you come and you present yourself as God. Everything I have today and everything I ever will have is because of your goodness, because of your grace, and because of your mercy. It has nothing to do with my righteousness and when we get this revelation and this posture and we come in and start worshiping realizing we don't deserve anything but death and hell now God starts taking notice because now we're coming to him with the right attitude
the right motive. And so if you need to go, I understand that you need to go. God bless you. Thank you for coming. I hope you have a great day. But this is what I'm talking about. I'm just not interested in cute church. People have needs. They need to be free from things. They need things to happen in their life that man can't do. But God is in this room right now to meet people's needs if you will respond to what you feel. I have some prayer leaders in this house. If you're a prayer leader, I just want you to raise your hands to identify yourself. You see these men and women, these are prayer leaders. They have a vial of oil right now that they will anoint you. And you don't come, you don't come today and give them your life story. Just tell them what you need. I have a financial need. I have a marital need. I have a physical need. I have a need. You just tell them in one sentence and they're going to agree with you. And I'm here to tell you there is something very holy in this room right now. And that is the presence of Almighty God. So if you got to go, God bless you. We love you. You're always welcome to return. But Kaylee's going to sing this song and we're going to respond to what is in this house. Because God is not done here yet. If we're not done, He's not done. Are you with me? Come on, let's sing.
Yeah, no. 